welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this August 2014 episode of the podcast, we're going to focus on the best websites for your genealogical research. So we'll start over at the Genealogy Insider blog, where Diane Haddad will tell us about some of the websites used on the new season of the television show, Who Do You Think You Are? And then we'll jump into the best websites for your research and to make sure that we have enough time with David Frixell, the author of the 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots list article, we will combine the top tip segment and the 101 Best Websites segment. And then in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Tyler Moss will give us some tips from the upcoming virtual conference, which will be covering lots of great websites. And finally, we'll head to the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan, and she'll be sharing her top tips to help you maximize your online research. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the news from the blogosphere with Diane Haddad. Well, let's kick off this episode with the news from the blogosphere. And here to give us the scoop is the genealogy insider blogger, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi, Lisa. Well, it's uh, August 2015, and that means people are talking about Who Do You Think You Are?, which has returned to television on the TLC channel, uh, started up in July. Share with us um, some of the news that you've been reporting on the genealogy insider blog. Well, we're sharing every week before... Um, before Wednesday, which is when the episodes air, we're sharing preview clips. And then um, afterwards, I will talk a little bit about the episode and then um, draw out some tips, because it seems like in every episode there's some kind of um, genealogy lesson or um, website shown that, that people can use at home. Yeah, exactly. And of course, in this episode, we are focusing in on those online websites that are kind of helping us get so much done from home before we kind of hit the road. Well, we're obviously Ancestry is a sponsor Mm -hmm. of the show. So tell us how they've been making use of Ancestry. Well, you'll see um, Ancestry.com used usually pretty um, soon after each episode starts. And a lot of times they'll start by searching the census, which makes sense. That's a basic step for um, for anybody who's starting on a family line. And then in the premiere episode of this year, which was... Um, they were talking about, they started with a Civil War pension, which is a good record to check when you're in the mid-1860s. They use the pension index on Ancestry.com, and that can give you information you need to then request the record from the National Archives. And then also this season, I've noticed a lot of um, online newspaper articles that are giving people information, and that's kind of neat because that's a really rich record where you can learn things that you're not going to learn um from other sources. And so newspapers.com, which I think was one of our 101 best websites, is also an Ancestry.com site. It's new, and I've seen that used. Another one people might want to look at is Chronicling America um, from the Library of Congress. Yeah, that's a free site, and they've digitized a huge amount of newspapers from all across the country. And the exciting thing about that one, well, of course, with Ancestry, too, uh, I know Chronicling America 
um, has grants on a regular basis and they are continuing to digitize. So even if you go today and you don't see a newspaper uh, that you need, there might be one just a couple of months down the road. And it, it's amazing because, you know, it wasn't that long ago, the idea that pension records or even mm-hmm. newspapers could could be on our computer screen is just was just kind of a pipe dream. <laughs> so it's awesome yeah. that we can do it now. And that's great because on these these shows, you know, you you see people go to this archive and then you know go across the country to that archive and and you know it might give someone the idea that oh you have to be able to travel to all these places and have all kinds of money and time in order to do this and you don't it it probably takes a little bit more time doing it from home but you do have access to a lot of records um, online or, you know, information that can help you get those records, it's just more exciting to see someone go to the place and actually, you know, touch the record. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Well, Diane's uh, blog post as of August 5th is, Who Do You Think You Are? Preview Rachel and Kayleen McAdams. And keep an eye on the blog, because as she said, she's also giving a wrap up and not only a wrap up, but Diane's always great about sharing some of those really usable tips and tricks that maybe we kind of miss when we're watching the whole story, but she really pulls them out and makes them usable, which is great. And uh, over on my site on Genealogy Gems, we have premium episode number 113, which is free. You don't have to be a premium member for that particular episode. And it features a half an hour interview with Dan Bukatinsky. He is an executive producer for the show. Yeah, and he was great. So much enthusiasm. We were talking about when's he going to get his family on there? (laughs) So who knows? Maybe he'll be featured on the show. And of course, we also have a podcast episode featuring Lisa Kudrow, who's also an executive producer. So lots of great content online to get you excited about watching the show and follow the Genealogy Insider blog to get all the tips. Diane, this is great. Thanks so much. You're welcome. September is the time of year that Family Tree Magazine releases its new 101 Best Websites list, and this year the article is called Superb Sites. Our 15th annual listing of the 101 Best Genealogy Websites can guide your research to new sites, and it can give you some new reasons to visit some old favorites. And here to tell us all about it in our kind of combined top tips and 101 Best Websites segment in this podcast episode is the author himself, David Frixell. Hi, David. Hello, thanks for having me. Well, you know, I know you have been reviewing genealogy websites for about 15 years now. Looking back, what are some of the most significant changes in genealogy websites that you've noticed? Well, the first thing that comes to mind, if you think about like the very first uh, listing, which I edited, I didn't didn't write it, uh, it's been that back then there wasn't nearly as much data online. There, there were genealogy websites, but they tended to be much more modest, and often they, you know, had tips and advice and that sort of thing. And over the years, we're just not satisfied with that anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, we want, well, give me the entire 1930 census, you know, um, uh-huh. not just a few tips about using the census. Um, so that has really been a change, is that there's been so much more data that's become available online in you know, all different kinds of sites. Which, of course, is exciting. I think, too, people back then were, um, they were just, 
what do you call it? Um, kind of getting together. They were kind of just talking to each other and doing forums and that type of thing. Right. And, you know, we started seeing posting of pedigrees and you know, things like that. And uh, you, if you were in, trying to do a particular kind of research, there was probably a website where you could, uh, you know, go and learn more about getting started with that. Um, but it, it's really changed. One of the things, this has been several years ago now, but kind of in the intervening 15 years, in the United States, one thing that really made a dent in that, besides the commercial sites like Ancestry and uh, all those, has been that so many states for a while there spent a lot of time and effort putting their data online, often for free. So mm-hmm. uh, there were have been years in the uh, 101 Best Websites where the States in one way or another sort of dominated the list, at least the U.S. part of the list, because there were just so many good ones, you know, it became very difficult to choose. Now, more recently, the two trends that I've really noticed are there's been a boom in geography-related sites. I, the, the, this year, you know, we've got Historic MapWorks, History Gen, History Geo, uh, as well as uh, long-time ones like the Bureau of Land Management's, uh, you know, record. So just putting your ancestors on the map has never been easier. And it's just all that sort of topographical, geographical, um, population-based things uh, have just exploded. And, of course, then the other one is the way in which the rise of social media has really affected uh, even genealogy, which I think when it first came out, a lot of people, certainly I did not ever see that coming. It's like, well, okay, you connect with people on Facebook or whatever or post your videos on YouTube, but how is this helping me do genealogy? And it turns out there's all kinds of ways. I think this is the first year that we've had YouTube on the list, for example. And I was a little skeptical at the first. I thought, well, okay, I'll just do a search. And, and there were like 100,000 genealogy hits on YouTube, including including videos by you. And yeah. it's just incredible. You know, who would have thought back when we first did the uh, the lift and, you know, the, the idea of a great genealogy website was, oh, here are a few tips for your German research, you know, that, that would be replaced by here's 100,000 videos you can watch on your computer. <laughs> They'll tell you how to do genealogy. It's just an amazing switch. And genealogists are funny in the sense that we were ahead of the game in terms of message forums, talking to each other. We were socializing before Facebook ever dreamed of socializing. There were so, you know, even some of those early forums had terrific information and, you know, could help you solve, you know, get through those brick walls that uh, uh, otherwise you never could have done. But by sharing, you could. Absolutely. And yet... We are so late to the party on video. I mean, I've been preaching this for, for years now that, uh, the, the video revolution, it, it came, it's here, it's running over everybody and we're just figuring it out. And at least the genealogy community is. I mean, when you look at, what do they say? 70,000 hours of footage an hour get posted on YouTube. I mean, more than, what they did in six in sixty days, they've posted more footage than has been on uh, public media, television, movies in sixty years. I mean, it's it's unfathomable. We used to, you know, we probably all go home at you know, at night and watch Netflix, which I think it. Yeah. Netflix is about a third of the total internet bandwidth is being used on Netflix. Yeah. So certainly, and, there's and, a lot of video going on out there. We're just not necessarily doing it yet. 
Exactly. Well, and and one of the things I know I'm always uh, talking to students about is, and my listeners, is that um, if we are in each other's photographs, we've been sharing photographs through sites like Dead Fred and that type of thing. We've been we've figured that out a long time ago, and we totally are just now cluing into the idea that we're also in each other's home movies, and the volume of home movies is incredible. Even though a lot of us didn't take nearly as many as we did photographs, uh, it takes a lot of photographs to fill up 10 minutes of home movie. That's true. You know, so it's exciting. I think it's really cool because of the, the changes you're talking about mean total excitement and new innovations and new things to look forward to getting up every day and working on your family history. And things really that 15 years ago, I mean, maybe some science fiction writers who were interested in genealogy could have <laughs> predicted, but... Yeah, well, we're getting there. I mean, I think in so many ways, as I said, genealogy has been so much on the forefront. Which sites were were on your list this year that were on the list way back when, 10, 15 years ago? Which ones are still making the list today? Well, I think, you know, some of the, the older subscription sites, certainly, like, like Ancestry.com. Um, the Library of Congress has been, you know, on there for a long time, the National Archives. So some of the, the real standards, you know, there. Um, good old Cindy's list, which has been on and off the list in, in recent years, is back on it, uh, this year. She's made some, um, improvements and has added a blog and, and things like that. So, um, she's back on the, uh, on the list. Um, and so there, year after year, a lot of those state sites say they came around, you know, maybe not 15 years ago, but 10 years ago or so forth. Um, the states that have really done outstanding jobs of, Putting their data, you know, online so you can go and see. Missouri is a good example uh, where you can go on and see, you know, death records and actual, you know, death certificates and uh, military records and everything. It's just, uh, it's remarkable what's available at your fingertips. And of course, in this case, they're all free. Yeah, I'm amazing. Uh, which sites are long gone from the list? I, I know it's. It's got to be really fascinating for you, particularly because you have spent so many um, years compiling these lists to go back and go, oh, I remember that one. I mean, it's been ages since we even thought about those websites and it and how it just it's which ones shock you that, wow, I thought this was this was the big deal. And now it's gone. Some of them, you know, I'll be I'll be checking and uh, they'll just that URL will just be dead now. And I didn't even know it was gone. You know, it's just like I'm clicking it. Um, some, some of course are still around or maybe in their death throes, um, but have not made it on the site. I think the one that I'm most surprised is no longer on the list and really hasn't been for a while is genealogy.com. What a great URL for starters. Yeah. But having gotten, you know, bought up by Ancestry, they kind of allowed it to sort of wither on the vine. Um, and, uh, now they're, you know, preparing to sort of put it out of its misery. But, I mean, I was a paying subscriber of that for quite a while, and it had some fairly good data, uh, on it, and it was certainly an outstanding, you know, example of where you could find, you could spend a lot of time pouring through that data, um, but it's not on the list. It hasn't been on the list for, I don't know how, for several years, at, you know, at least, which, that just seems incredible to me if you told yeah. me, you know, when it first, uh, you know, went online that, oh, that would no longer be a contender and soon would no longer exist. That just seems impossible. 
Well, and who knew in those early days how valuable some of those keyword URLs were going to be that all of a sudden the site that you thought was kind of a leader in the industry actually becomes the prime target for purchase just simply because it's genealogy.com. And, um, you know, I, I imagine eventually that that will just link over to Ancestry, would you think? I assume that yeah. once you've you know, got those really great domain names. Um, you know, you don't want to redirect. Those, yeah, you don't want to <laughs> let those go to waste. But uh, uh, yeah, you know, think how smart the ancestry people were in locking up ancestry.com in the very first, you mm-hmm. know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, era of this. So, yeah, if you had to pick one newcomer, and I, I know every year you 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 see and find and unearth new websites, which is one of the, the huge values of these articles that you do, because there's no way we can all be aware of all the websites. And I love that, that you've really put a lot of time and effort in um, combing through them and, and bringing to the forefront some that maybe we just haven't heard about or really picked up on yet. Um, which ones do you think that we should be spending our time on that are worthwhile this year? Well, let me, I'll cheat and single out two, but they sort of have a common theme. And that is, and maybe this is going to be a trend that there's much more value now to putting your family tree up on family search because there are these other sites that are using the data on family search and making, finding new ways for you to use it. And so there's one called Pozilla and another one called RootsMapper. And the one helps you figure out where your dead ends are basically, but using your data on family search. And the other uh, helps you map your family uh, using the tree that's already posted there on family search. So it, it used to be, you know, there's some of these sites where you think, well, you know, what's in it for me? Maybe some distant cousin will connect with me, but probably not. And so, you know, we, you're not really motivated to put your, your uh, tree on some of these sites. But both of these there's added value then to you as a researcher. Um, and I'm always telling people, you know, map your your family. Uh, well, this is one that does it for you, but it works only, you know, using family search. So it's an interesting sort of, I don't know, meta kind of, um, you know, overlay on it. And maybe we'll be seeing more of that, um, particularly with sites like family search that are more open to, you know, they're not subscription sites and open for those sort of uh you know, internet, I don't know how that works, but it's pretty, it seems like pretty fancy technology to me. Yeah. Having that, um, the API that they can work within each other's structures and, um, it, it's exciting. And well, I was just going to say that, ge- that geography has been on my radar for a long time. And, and I think that's another area where I was a little bit surprised considering that genealogy is all about location and, um, time frame that we hadn't focused as much on the internet in terms of location. And it's exciting to see that that's happening. It has really exploded. Um, yeah. And, you know, in a number of ways, there's always been, well, I mean, you know, the, the land records um, site has, which has been up for a long time now, but they continue to add things there. And if you have, if people haven't checked that recently, um, or if you have us uh, ancestors, that's worth, you know, another visit back. And there are things like, um, the Newberry Library has its Atlas of Historical County Boundaries. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is so difficult sometimes to figure out what county your ancestor was in at a particular, you know, time. And it uses these marvelous tools and um, interfaces, again, with another site, with Google Earth and Google Maps, um, to 
put your ancestors on the map, you know, in that sense. So there are all these different ways. Then there are ones that are sort of almost social media, um, like you know, History Pen, which has over 50,000 users, and they're posting these historic images. So it's like a walk back through time, and they're all tied into Google Maps again. So you can uh, go there and see what a place, you know, used to look like um, way back when. Yeah, it's exciting. And kudos to you for how many websites you included that are not what we call genealogy websites. And I think that's one of the the trends that uh, we are continuing to move for. And I think genealogists have to kind of merge with the rest of the universe to know it's not that every website must come from a genealogy-focused company, but it's more about what does that site help you do that would accomplish a task within your genealogy? You've targeted ones like Evernote and WorldCat. You know, these are not genealogy websites in quotes. And I, I think that's wonderful because it really makes sure that we're getting um, the best tools out there that are available. Well, and I use some of those sites all the time. Uh, Evernote is a, good, is a good example where all my data can live in Evernote. I can clip... Uh, you know, census images or files or recipes for that matter. And then if they're on my computer, then they go into Evernote and then I can view them on my iPad or on my iPhone or somebody else's computer or, you know, it, it puts the stuff right there at your fingertips. Um, WorldCat is another good example, uh, which for people who aren't familiar with it, it's basically a, an index to the world library. This is the best way to think of it. And it's so cool because it will tell you where to find uh, a book or pamphlet or something like that in a library close to you. And so I can, you know, I plugged in for Excel, and, you know, there is my uh, second cousin, however many removed, uh, genealogy of the Frickzell family, and I can find, oh, the Denver Public Library has it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, in, in just seconds, uh, something that I, you might have, in the olden days, you know, before, uh, the web, how long would it have taken you to ever track that down? Um, and here, you know, in a heartbeat, there it is, bing. Yeah. I mean, I hear oftentimes people will say, oh my gosh, there's so much out there now. I don't even know where to begin. But you, you've just hit the nail on the head about the fact that if you do know the right tools to go to, um, that all becomes a big plus that there's so much out there because there are tools that can help you really narrow down and get right to what you need. And that's really what we're all interested in, right? Exactly. And to get answers quickly. I mean, yeah. talking about math, for example, the U.S. Geological Survey is on the list again this year. And it's for you know basic reason. How many of us have, you know, checked, come across something about some ancestor and, you know, they're at Deep River or Hoots Hollow or something, you know, and you have no idea where that is. Well, in just seconds, it will show you where it is, and then you can click to, you know, plot it on all kinds of different maps. And, again, how long might would it have taken before to figure out, uh, oh, that's where Deep River is. Yeah. <laughs> um, as a boat, you know, you might have had to, uh, you know, go through all piles of dusty old maps or, I don't know, I, I'm so spoiled now in the, uh, you know, the web, I, the thought of actually, Trying to find that sort of information without uh, the use of the internet just sort of, uh, you know, boggles my mind. I don't know how we lived back then. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's a superb time to be a genealogist. And, 
his article is superb. It's called Superb Sites. It's the 101 best websites list for 2014. Um, I think one of the finest I've seen so far as far as really nailing on the head where you need to be spending your time. And of course, we've been spending our time with David Frixell, the author of that article. David, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing all your wonderful expertise and, and um, ideas and opinions about where we should be spending our time on the web. Thank you. Thanks so much. In this Family Tree University Crash Course segment, I've invited Tyler Moss back to the show to talk to us about the upcoming virtual conference and give us some examples of some of the things that you might be learning. Welcome back to the show, Tyler. Thanks for having me, Lisa. You know, the virtual conference is something that you do a couple of times a year, and um, it's exciting on a lot of different levels because of its uniqueness. Tell us first just kind of what the structure is of a virtual conference. Well, it all takes place over the span of a single weekend, um, starting on Friday at 9 a.m. and, of course, going through Sunday evening. And the structure is basically it all takes place online. So you can, you know, sign in from home. And it's this place on the web where you can watch 15 different presentations on all sorts of a range of genealogy topics. We've got three tracks of videos, uh, genealogy technology, uh, research strategies, and ethnic research. So you can watch videos on all three of those topics, uh, 15 videos in total. We also have live chats, which are basically where we have an expert come and talk about a specific topic, and you sign in at a specific time, and you can ask them any question you want. We kind of foster this discussion that happens, you know, live. And we also have a really good message board discussion where you can post comments, and, you know, we have everything from a family recipe swap to different ideas about books you're reading to, you know, a surname wall where you're posting all the surnames you're researching and seeing if other people are doing any research on those. So all sorts of... um cool features, but it all takes place online from the convenience of home. Yeah, exactly. It makes it possible for anybody around the world to participate, really. Um, the next one, the Fall 2014 Virtual Conference, is starting up on September 19th of 2014. And as Tyler mentioned, there's going to be 15 half-hour video classes, which you can literally download, which is great. And I know in the last virtual conference, um, there were some great videos. And in particular, there were some really cool chats going on. So give us an example of some of the kinds of things that go on in the chats that people may be learning. Well, one of my favorite chats from the last virtual conference was one called Female Ancestors in the Law, and that was by uh, Judy G. Russell, also known as in, on her blog as the Legal Genealogist. And some of the topics uh, she talked about were, you know, she had a lot of people ask questions and she answered them specifically. But one of the things she really pinpointed was, you know, obviously we know women are very difficult to find. So her primary strategy within legal records was suggesting that you follow the men. You know, where do you look for maiden names? Well, check records of fathers, brothers, husbands, sons. Uh, Judy illustrates this in the chat with an example of how she found one of her ancestors, um, the wife of John Jones, named Elizabeth, in um, Elizabeth's father's will. That was how she discovered the name. But also, Elizabeth had her name on some land records. Though her husband, John, was the one who had to sell the land, Elizabeth, by law, had to sign off on the land as well. So you can find, you know, these female names within these records that are, you know, technically under the male name. So what we learn is that though the females in your family may not be directly searchable um, by name, we can often find information about them in the legal records of their male relatives. Yeah, exactly. And, and what's so cool about that is the people who were involved in the virtual chat 
had Judy right there live to interact with, to ask their questions, to talk about what they were doing, and and then to probe further into some of these really great strategies uh, that she was sharing. And I think that's just one of the big advantages of, of uh, this kind of a, an opportunity, which so many people might otherwise not get an opportunity to attend a genealogy conference because it's not in their town. Exactly. Um, you can connect, you know, with these experts directly if you have a specific question or something without having to travel long distances or pay for hotel rooms or flights or that sort of thing. Well, that's really neat. Well, Tyler, thank you for sharing some of the tips that Judy shared in the last conference. And we all look forward to the upcoming fall 2014 virtual genealogy conference. And it starts up September 19th, 2014. I'm going to have a link directly to the registration page in the show notes and um, have a wonderful conference. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks very much. And I just want to say one last thing. We will have yeah. a special coupon for $50 off the conference for podcast listeners. That is coupon code PODCASTVC, and that is good through August 17th, 2014. And for $50 off, and you can uh, enter that at um, registration. We'll also have the link on the podcast page, and we'd love to see you all attend. Oh, fantastic. Thanks. Thank you. As we wrap up this August 2014 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast devoted to the 101 best websites of 2014, let's check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. You know, we've been talking all about um, the, the great list that David Frickselt put together, and, and he gave us some of his favorites out of the list. And um interested to check in with you and see which websites you kind of focus on and, and ways in which you use them, maybe some tips and tricks for our listeners. Well, obviously, I use a lot of websites, um, particularly in terms of the work that we do on Family Tree Magazine. So even if it's not for my personal research, I get a lot of (laughs) mileage out of a lot of different websites. And um, one thing that I think could be helpful to people as they're looking at our 101 best websites is to think about some of the ways that you can streamline your internet research and kind of make those sites work better for you so that you can spend more time on those finds and less time just kind of spinning your wheel, surfing from site to site and getting a little bit frustrated with um, the speed at which you're working. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because in a way, the, the more websites that come online, it's all wonderful and exciting. And all we can think is, oh my gosh, <laughs> we're, we're just drowning in all of, of this online information. Um, what's one of the first tools that you kind of focus on to help you stay organized and hopefully making the best use of your time? Well, one thing that I really hate is to repeat the same thing, you know, doing the same search over and over again. I mean, we all have to do that to some extent, but... Um, It's really helpful when you can take advantage of tools that different websites offer to help you automate that process. And one example is Google Alerts. And I know that that's a topic that you talk a lot about, Lisa. And Mm -hmm. I think you have an article um, on that subject that we can point people to. Yeah, absolutely. Just posted it at uh, genealogygems.com. It's aptly titled, How to Set Up Google Alerts for genealogy. So it's it's just a really quick step by step. And and as Allison mentioned, you can run a search, but then it's only good for that moment in time, you want it to run into the future, but you only want the new stuff. You don't want to keep seeing the same things over and over again. By setting up a Google alert, saving that search, and then having Google send you new results to your email address, 
it's like having your own personal genealogy assistant. I mean, I, that's probably one of uh, the things I would most agree with as far as how to make the best use of your time. And like you say, automate the process. Why do all the work when Google will do it for you? Exactly. And of course, there are some ways that genealogy specific websites will kind of automate that process for you. So a lot of people are probably familiar with the hints that you get on Ancestry.com. You know, it's automatically kind of looking for matching information in its databases for you and popping up that hint. MyHeritage has a similar feature. And I would recommend that folks um, check out our video class, Time-Saving Tools to Automate Your Genealogy, for more ideas of tips and tools that you can do to automate your research and save some valuable time that you can spend on other aspects of your genealogy research. Yeah. And, and I love those tips when just sometimes you're just kind of stuck or you want to do, do something new, you know, go click on a hint and follow that lead and, and see where it takes you. Now, of course, along the way, we're collecting some websites and, and things that are really specific to our research. And that's kind of where I think bookmarks comes in to get things organized. Um, how do you more efficiently use bookmarks? Well, I use bookmarks a lot. I have a zillion bookmarks. And so that gets really hard to keep track of in terms of you can't rely on your memory alone. Um, once you've looked at a website and decided it's useful, you're going to want to be able to quickly identify that bookmark later so that you remember exactly what it was useful for. And so some people don't realize that you can actually customize your bookmarks so that you can change the name of the bookmark. You don't have to be stuck with the site description that the website itself has provided. So I'm a big fan of when I create a bookmark, going ahead and renaming it to something that's meaningful to me. So if it's a website that lists translations of German words, then I'm going to pick a name like German translations. And then when I go back and look at my list of bookmarks, I'll know exactly what I wanted to save that site for. Further, I also organize my bookmarks into folders by subject. So, you know, I might have a folder of reference type of sites and a folder of genealogy sites. And those genealogy sites will be further broken down into subfolders. That way I can kind of navigate through the same way I navigate through my hard drive. And it makes it quick and easy to find the ones that I need. Yeah, I love that tip. I mean, it's, I do that all the time. And, and you're right, a lot of people don't realize they, they hit the bookmark, and they don't realize that you can customize it. And what you're getting in the name of the bookmark is, of course, whatever's the default um, kind of cryptic description that the webmaster of that site builds into their code, but that doesn't necessarily mean it speaks to you. And I would just recommend, no matter which browser you're using, go to Google and type in Organize Chrome bookmarks, organize Firefox bookmarks, just put that in and you'll probably find a really easy tutorial up at the top of the list that'll show you how to do that. Absolutely. Now, of course, you're organizing your websites, but then we're downloading all this great information we're finding on websites. What about organizing our hard drive? Isn't this the thing that people probably struggle with most? Um, it's just like yeah. our paper files. How do we manage all of that? It's um, <laughs> an ongoing challenge, I think, for everyone. And there's no one magic solution, um, but there are some sort of strategies and tactics that you can use. Um, one thing that I do is 
have a filing system and a file naming strategy so that when I download something from a website like Ancestry.com or FamilySearch.org, I'm not just taking the name that they've given that file, putting it in a folder, and then when I go back and look at that folder, I have no idea <laughs> what that right. file is. Um, my hard drive and genealogy files, I organize um, by surname and record type. And so um, when I have a file, I'm going to put it in the applicable families folder, but then I also create a name for that file that tells me something about what it is. So if it's a um, census record of my Essel ancestors, I would use the head of household name and then the date and then the word census so that I know exactly what record that is and who's in it when I look at that file on my hard drive. You know, you're absolutely right. The the key is not that you get the perfect strategy. It's just that you have a strategy and you stay consistent, right? Indeed. And everybody's specific file naming pattern or folder organizing system should and can be different because it's got to be something that works for what you'll remember and the way that you accumulate and process information. Exactly. Well, I had fun putting together uh, a video, of course, for Family Tree Magazine. It's on the Family Tree Magazine YouTube channel. And again, aptly called Organize Your Hard Drive. And it, it's showing you the system that I use. And it's very similar to what Allison is describing. So if you go in and, and uh, go to youtube.com slash Family Tree Magazine, check out Organize Your Hard Drive. Uh, I'll demo it for you step by step right there in the video and you'll be off and running. Any other tools that you use to kind of keep all this web content organized on your computer? Well, I think the Evernote Web Clipper is a great tool, and I know that's a topic that you have covered a lot in different video classes and webinars for Family Tree Magazine and Family Tree University, and you're going to be giving a workshop for us in August um, at Family Tree University devoted to this topic. So. I'd like to turn that one around and see if you could share a couple of tips about the Evernote Web Clipper. Oh, you bet. Well, the main thing to to realize, and, and we talk, we'll talk about this in the workshop as well, is that there really are two different types of web clippers. There is the desktop program of Evernote, which has its own built-in web clipper. And then there's a web clipper custom for each browser. So whether you're using Chrome or, or Firefox or whichever one you're using, Evernote will give you and let you download a web clipper that works for that. Each one has strengths and weaknesses. So as you learn kind of what those are, you can make the best choice as to what's the best way to clip the content that you want to save. For example, if you are wanting to make sure that the URL address is embedded in the note so you can find this item again, you might really want to use the browser web clipper. Um, but if you really want some control over picking a piece off of the page, sometimes the desktop web clipper is the best way to go. Um, but what's really neat, I've noticed lately, Allison, is that the, the browser clippers are all kind of getting upgraded by Evernote, and they're starting to include more and more features, um, especially something called Evernote Clearly, which swipes away all the ads and things that you don't want to save on a web page and just gives you the content. So you oh, got to love that. Yes, yeah, for sure. 
Well, wonderful. Gosh, we've covered a lot of great strategies that people can start using right away to make better use of websites and to feel a little more in control as they're working their way across the web. Um, in our show notes for this episode, we're going to have details, including links to the Google Alerts article that you can get the step-by-step on how to set those up, the Organize Your Hard Drive YouTube video, and of course, um, our new Evernote workshop. I'm really looking forward to teaching this class. Um, it's just going to be a great intensive week, isn't it? It sure will. I'm looking forward to participating and picking up some new tips myself. <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your tips today, and we will talk to you next month. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining me for this August 2014 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and check out the complete 101 best websites for tracing your roots list. It's in the September issue of Family Tree Magazine. You can order the paper or digital version of the magazine at shopfamilytree.com. Next, head on over to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode, which will include information and website links for everything that we covered on today's show, including the upcoming Family Tree University virtual conference. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me over at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems Podcast, which is also available for free through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. <laughs>